Samuel will um, will not. We'll try. I'll, I'll have an outline. I won't talk about everything on the outline. Uh, we'll try for for time's sake, but also not just for time's sake to, to get us out on time, but also because some of the, the uh, towards the end of our each of our studies, when we look at some of the highlights and look at some of the, uh, take a, a little closer look at some of the, um, the events or the people in the, uh, the book of, uh, in tonight's case, 2 Samuel, um, we want to look a little bit closer at a few things and make it very practical. God's word is, uh, um, first of all, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that it's given for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching from the word of God about the things that are right, the things that are true. Uh, we think of the word theology when it comes to the study of God. And then there's also um, the, what God um, teaches his people is right and wrong. But also um, there's the aspect of the practical side of it too because it talks about, it tells us in the same place in 2 Timothy 3 that it's not only for doctrine, for, but it's for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Word of God is also very practical, and we, we're trying to look at some of the practical aspects of each book as we study them. So tonight, as we make our way uh, into 2 Samuel, the, um, we, we look at a theme word or phrase for each book. So far it's been a word, but this, this week it's a phrase. The, the phrase is simply the, word, the phrase before the Lord. And that's found nine times in 2 Samuel. And um, <clears throat> it, it means to, to be um, alone ourselves before God, or maybe in some cases Israel as a nation before uh, the Lord. Uh, there are 24 chapters in the book of 2 Samuel, and this is a book about the reign of King David, the man that was a man after God's own heart. We'll come back to that. Um, well, we'll see it in the middle, but we'll come back to that as we, as we close on that tonight and look at that about the reign of King David. Um, as we'll see in the next few books, 2 Samuel and 1 Kings overlap each other, uh, or, or, or the 1 Kings ha has a, a little bit about... David's reign there, and then it picks up with the king uh, with the reign of King Solomon, uh, actually chapter three. But there's a little bit in chapter one as David comes to the end of his life, and then when you get to uh, the Chronicles, uh, First Second Chronicles, First Chronicles is a parallel to Second Samuel. So you, if you make notes, you want. But when we come to First Chronicles, I'll make a note on that when we study that. But First Chronicles, a lot of what's found there is found in the reign of the life of King David. Um, and so we'll, I don't want to go into, uh, you know, to, to make it real confusing, but that will help you as you read through your Bible and then when we get to that book as we study it in the future. So our travel time is roughly about 1075 to 1000 B.C. was uh, 1 Samuel, then 1000 to about 960 is 2 Samuel because David reigned for 40 years uh, in, in uh, Israel. He, he was their second king. Really what I believe should have probably been the first king, but he was the second king over Israel. When we ended 1 Samuel, Saul and his son Jonathan died. Jonathan and David were best of friends. They were like brothers. Um, and normally uh, what would happen if Saul killed in battle, Jonathan would have been the next king uh, as, as the way it goes. But Jonathan got killed in battle, and David, of course, was the one that ascends to the throne. But he has to do it with a lot of difficulty, as we'll see in 2 Samuel. Quick breakdown, just a very simple, if you want a, just a two-part breakdown of the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 1 to 10 talk a lot about David's victories. And this is as he's beginning as king. And with victories, of course, implies that there are battles. You can't have a victory without a battle that you face. And so he faced several battles early on, but God gave him great victories in those first 10 chapters. And then we pick up at chapter 11, there's definitely a, a change um, 
of, uh, of it goes into a minor key kind of if you want to do it in musical terms from chapter 11 to the end of the book because those chapters give so many of the troubles of King David. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at those uh, a little closer. Some of them will not look as deep, but some of them we'll look at a little closer. So in chapters 1 to 4, David is made the king of Judah. Now remember, at this time, um, the kingdom is all one. Israel is one nation of, of 12 tribes. It's not divided until David's son Solomon, after he dies, then it's divided. But So during the reign of Saul and now David, and then after David Solomon, the, the nation is, is one nation and there are 12 tribes together. So he's made king of Judah. If you remember back when we began our study, the very first night as an overview, the main theme of the Bible surprisingly is not salvation. To you and me it is because that's where we get in on God's program. That's where we get in on what God's will for our life is being saved. But from God's perspective, the main theme of the Bible is a king and a kingdom. And in these books that we're about to go into, uh, it's especially, well, already really started last week with Saul, but it's especially about the, God's kingdom through Israel. Now, this is a book of, uh, of change, just as the book before was a book of change. First Samuel was the first time Israel had a king. And that was Saul. Until then, God ruled over them for the most part when they would pay attention and obey him. He ruled over them in what we call a theocracy form of government. But this is going to be through a monarchy of a king, uh, uh, beginning with Saul. So um, the, the main theme of the Bible is a king and a kingdom. And that started way back with Adam. Adam was given dominion over the earth. Now, he and Eve were the only people for a while, but he was given dominion over the whole earth. And then after that, uh, after Adam died, then, you know, uh, the, uh, from his descendants, it began to nations began to grow and so forth and so on. But God always had a plan for someone to rule um, either him or someone rule under, under him over his planet Earth. So in chapter one, David mourns the death of Saul and Jonathan in chapter one. And then in chapters two through four, David goes into some battles with some of Saul's sons. Uh, one was a, was a man named Ishbinab, and, and it mentions him in there. But the, he goes into battle with some of Saul's sons. Saul's sons, although now Saul's dead, Jonathan would have been the king, ideally, uh, after Saul's death. But with the battle, all that happened, Jonathan died. So the brothers decide, hey, our dad's not around. Somebody's got to be king. Our brother, Jonathan, who was going to be dad's, you know, the prince, basically to be the next king, He's dead, so we want to take over. We want command. So David goes into battle with his son in Judah. And chapters 2 through 4 records that. We won't take the time to go into that, but if, when you're writing and making notes, when you go back to read this, if you haven't already read this, you'll, you'll see the battle between them. Then when you get to chapter 5, the rest of the tribes besides Judah, the other 11, they want David to be their king. And so they decide, we want David. He's, he's defeated Saul's sons. We want him to be our king, and we want him to reign and rule over us. David does something very good in chapter 6. He's described, we know, when we talked about last week a little bit, and we'll end on it today, he's described as a man after God's own heart. David was human, like you and me. David had his fails, failures and sins and, and, and times of disobedience, like you and me. But David was a man after God's own heart. God saw that because just as uh, God said about him, uh, whenever, or, or God said whenever Saul was chosen, 
he says something the opposite way. The people wanted Saul because they looked on the outward appearance. But God saw David from the inward appearance. And he says, uh, God says, don't look on the, on the outward appearance and judge him that way. Look on the heart. God ju- uh, sees the heart. With Saul, he was, he was the people's choice because he was taller than everybody else. He was, he was probably a big, handsome man. He probably was, was, was the, the main one they would see as a, as a, as a hero, uh, maybe just very built very well or whatever. But if they looked and compared him to David at that time, David was just a little teenage boy then. And there's no way they would have thought him to, that, that he would be a king, but God saw a king. And so David, and the many things he did that were definitely right, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, back to, to Jerusalem. Um, the Ark of the Covenant had been taken, remember, and then they, they recovered it under uh, in 1 Samuel before Saul became king. It was recovered, but now he wants it back in its right place in the tabernacle. The temple hadn't been built yet, and he wanted it back in its right place. So David has the Ark brought back. Uh, we'll come back to that, put a pin in that. Uh, chapter 7, David's, we see his desire for the temple, and God uses Nathan in David's life. Then you read on through there, and you see where David battles some of Israel's enemies. David wanted to build a temple, and the Bible says that, um, uh, that God used Nathan to tell uh, David, David, you've been a man of war, you've shed blood, and though you have this great desire and dream, put a pen there too, you have this great desire and dream to build the temple, you won't do it, but your son will. And that did happen under Solomon later after David died. Solomon, when he began his reign as king, he built the temple there in Jerusalem, uh, the first temple that Israel had. Until then it was a tabernacle, but now he's going to have a temple built. But David had a great desire for that. His, his heart's desire was that God would be given his right place. We think of David, and we know he wrote a lot of psalms. We know that he played a harp. We know that he worshiped God. Then you think of David, and you also realize he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed in battle. So when you look at all of David's life, the bad, the good, everything, he's still described as a man of, after God's own heart. And his heart's desire was God would be given his right place. In the book of Psalms, there's a psalm where David said he would not rest until God's, uh, God had a dwelling place uh, in his proper place among his people. This is one of the psalms. I, I meant to write it down, and I, I forgot to write it down. Chapter 8, though, David begins to battle some of Israel's enemies. Now, again, all the tribes wanted him now as king, so because of that, He's not just over Judah now. He's over all of them. So all of their enemies, no matter where they were around, he was going to have to go into battle with them, and he does. Chapter 9, we see one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Old Testament, maybe even all the Bible. It's a great chapter about the grace of God. David one day says, Where is someone that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was the son of David. And I mean, excuse me, of Saul. He was David's best friend, son of Saul. And he said, where can I find someone that I can show and bestow favor uh, to them? New Testament, we'd use the word grace to them uh, just because they're in that line, just because they were a descendant of Jonathan. And so uh, he sends out uh, one of his servants to find, and he finds a man named, a, a young man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, we find out as we read about him in Scripture, uh, one day there was a battle going on. He was just a boy, 
a small boy, and his, his dad went to pick him up to, to, take him to, to take him to safety during that battle. And he fell and injured one of his legs. He, he was never able to walk again. And so because of that, he, was, uh, he had to have special care. David said, there's one I can take care of. And the Bible tells us, when you read 2 Samuel 9, beautiful picture of the grace of God. He takes him into his house. He says, Mephibosheth, you will eat at my table forever. You'll never go hungry. You are not my son, but I'm going to treat you like you're my son. You're in the king's palace now, and you're going to get treated with royalty. So many beautiful pictures of the Christian. We'll come back to that, okay? Chapter 10, we see a good deed done wrong. When you go over to chapter 10, you see where David um, goes to... Um, let me get over here and make sure I've got... Get my... Get my I'll get the scripture right here. Um, he goes to show some kindness to someone else. I guess he figured once he showed it to Mephibosheth, maybe he thought, this is a good thing. I can do this. Then he goes to show kindness on someone who ends up turning against him. So when you read through chapter 10, you see that, and you see where David is, uh, he faces a great disappointment there, even in a good deed that's gone wrong. So we start in chapter 11. This is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Chapter 11 through chapter 24, we're going to look at some of the troubles that David faced in his life. Of course, the one we think of the most, probably, unfortunately, was the uh, sin with Bathsheba. And the scripture begins in chapter 10 and talking about how, how David was, was there um, in, in the palace, and he looked out from a window, and he saw Bathsheba there. And it was a time when the kings go to war. Maybe they, maybe they had times where they set times of battle, kind of like a, you know, a, a football game or something as far as a schedule. But anyway, there was a time set for battle, and he did not go out with his, with his warriors, with his soldiers. He stayed there. Uh, he stayed there and stayed idle. And when he saw Bathsheba, he said, bring, bring her to me. And so, as you know what happened, you know that he ha committed adultery with her, and then she was with child. And so when he finds out uh, about that and, and uh, realizes the wrong he did, like oftentimes happens in life, rather than trying to make it right right then, he, he did another wrong. Two wrongs never make a right, of course. And, of course, uh, he sent her husband out into the front of the battlefield um, for, um, in battle, hoping that, that uh, he would be killed. And so he's guilty of second-degree murder also because of that. And so David greatly sinned against God. We're going to come back to that, put a pen there too. So we know the, the scripture tells us about what he did, how wrong that was. And in chapter 12, we see uh, his repentance and how he gets that right with God. And then chapter 13 to 17, we see David's sons and their troubles. And so uh, Nathan, God sends a man named Nathan that's a friend of David's. He'd send him to him before when, when, when David wanted to build the temple, Nathan was the one that, that God spoke to and said, I want you to, do, I want you to tell David, um, even though that heart's desire is great, uh, he needs to realize he will not be able to build, build the temple. And so good friend Nathan comes back to him in chapter 12 and says to him, I know I'm jumping ahead, I've got the, the slide ahead here. But anyway, he says to him, he says, David, um, you, you've sinned against God. And God used Nathan in his life for him to get that straightened out, to get that right with God. And so as you read on through, uh, back up again to that, we saw where uh, David's sons and the troubles he has with them. Um, you read chapter 13 um, down through um, chapters, oh, about 15, 16, 17 in there, and you see where his sons had... Um, had some, some battles among themselves. 
You remember where his one son, um, Amnon, had um, uh, basically raped David's daughter. And so we see a lot of bad things happen. Absalom, the other son of David, took, uh, took up that offense and he kept, kept it to himself for a long time. And then finally, he uh, wanted to see, uh, see his brother put to death for what he did. So a lot of troubles come to David through his sons. And God had already told him through Nathan, because of what you did, David, there's going to be trouble as a result. It's going to reap a crop that you're not going to like this, David, but it's going to happen. Nevertheless, God forgave him. As I, as I said, put a pin and we'll come back to that. So then there's a man named Barzillai in chapter 17. He is a friend to David, and he's a very loyal friend to David. And you read about him in there, and um, he's there for him when David's in a very difficult uh, time in his life and the sorrows that he goes through. So if you get a chance, read through that chapter and read about this man, Barzillai, and you'll see and you'll be encouraged by someone that God used in David's life uh, to be a friend to him. Get to chapter 18, and there's a famous... A uh, well-known chapter about Absalom, David's son Absalom. Absalom had rebelled, and he wanted to take over the kingdom. Absalom, um, his other brothers, even some of them had gotten behind him, but there were many that got behind him in a rebellion where he was wanting to take the kingdom, even from his dad. David, with his tender, kind heart, he told everyone, don't do any harm to the young man Absalom. Don't do any harm to him. Yes, he's wronged me. Yes, he's rebelled against me. But you've got to treat him with kid gloves. Don't do anything uh, harmful to Absalom. He loved his son. And so when you get to chapter 18, uh, we are going to read a little bit of this. Skip around with me a little bit, if you will. In chapter 18, um, David numbers the people and uh, disobeys God there. Then we get to, uh, let's see, uh, pick up at verse 6. So the people went out of the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men, for the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule. And the mule went under thick boughs of a great oak. Of a, great oak. a mule in that day was, um, that was often seen when, when a, um, someone as royalty would travel in uh, to, a, to a town, to a city or something. Remember when Jesus traveled in, uh, rode, on that, uh, the, uh, rode on the ass, the donkey coming into the city, and they yelled, you know, cried out, Hosanna. This was something done in that culture that, that showed this is royalty coming in. Well, he had made a king of himself. He had already set himself up as king, and he's riding on this mule. And then the Bible says that his, his, uh, his hair was caught in the great oak. Pick up verse 9. And he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule was under, that was under him went away. And certain men saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in, a yoke, in an oak. If you ever heard, maybe heard many years ago, heard of, or maybe heard uh, of Evangelist Lester Roloff many years ago, he had, a, he had a sermon from this call, and the mule walked on. Uh, talked about how Absalom got on that mule of sin and all his pride in rebelling against his father. And so his hair got uh, caught in the oak there. And then pick up verse 11. Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him. Why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would give thee ten, ten shekels of silver and a girdle. That's not a girl, lucky ladies. That's a nice belt. And so um, he, he, Joab says, Now Joab was supposed to have been a friend of David. He was supposed to be a warrior that was a very close friend to David, and he was at one time. But now he sees an opportunity, and he offers money even after David said, 
don't touch Ab. Don't let anybody do any harm to him. He is my son. I know what he's done, but do not do any harm to him. And so he offers the man that. And continue on in verse um, 12. The man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the, the king charged thee and Abishai, uh, Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against my own life, for there is no matter hid from the king, and thou wouldst, um, thyself wouldst have set thyself against me. In other words, he says, if I had done that without you saying anything, you would have told the king about it. So he's telling him, you're playing both sides against the middle there, Joab. Uh, verse 14, then said, Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed him about and smote Absalom and slew him. And, the, and Joab blew the trumpet. And the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. So Joab disobeyed David, and from this point, had, it had betrayed him and uh, killed David's son, even after David said, do not touch him. Then you see a man, remember we mentioned in chapter 17, the man named Barzillai. Well, he had a son named Chimam, and he was, some pronounce it with a K, but uh, Chimam or Chimam, he was a son of Barzillai, and he went to help David while he was in exile. David had been running uh, because um, um, the rebellion of, of Absalom, as things had fallen out, David had to basically run from his life, from his own son, and from the, those that his son had gathered against him. But this man came to be an encourager to him. We talked about Sunday morning in the message about um, spiritual gifts. We talked about an exhorter. I think he had some some of the characteristics of an exhort of an exhorter. He went by uh, uh, went and found David and came to be by his side to be a help to him in a difficult time. Then there's a rebellion of a man named Sheba in chapter twenty. Uh, Amasa was found in that chapter. He was a rebel that turned good. He actually had uh, had become a friend of David's. He'd once been a rebel against him, but then a man named uh, Amasa. Um, that was um, um, that had rebelled. That was following a man. Excuse me, a man named Joab. He betrays Amasa. Remember, he'd already um, already killed uh, Absalom after he was told, "Don't touch him. Don't do any harm to him." Now he betrays uh, Joab. Betrays Amasa, and um, so David is basically having problems within his own ranks now. Then in chapter twenty-one, Saul's disobedience from way back when he was king, the crop comes back and it reaps a crop, if you'll pardon the opposite pun, uh, of a famine. So now what, part of what the disobedience of Saul comes back and God tells um, David in chapter 21, he said, this is not coming as anything because of what you've done, David. This is because of Saul and some of the things he's done. So there's going to be a famine. And then you get to chapter 21, verse 15 to 22. You see David facing some more giants. But he did that as a teenage boy. So he had, the, um, he had the ability to go back and he remembered what God had done, how faithful he was, and now he goes back and faces some giants when you read in chapter, 15, uh, chapter 21, verse 15 to 22, and they're all related to um, Goliath that he slew in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Then you get to chapter 22, uh, starts out with a few verses. Then when you read through the rest of this chapter, it's basically Psalm 18. Uh, I mentioned last time, and we'll try to look at this when we get to the Psalms. David wrote over half the Psalms, 
And 2 Samuel 22, if you read those side by side, they're almost word for word with a few exceptions. Uh, Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22. Many of the words of the Psalms David wrote came from a heart of uh, crying out to God for a desperate because times that he would run from Saul. Times like these that he had run even from his own son. Times of deep depression. Times of sorrow. Uh, David wrote these psalms crying out to God. No wonder he was a man after God's own heart. Many of the psalms reflect what David went through and he expresses. And so they're written for us today. Some of the things we go through when we're reading those psalms, we can see and feel some of the same things David felt at different times in our life. Then chapter 23 is one of my favorite chapters almost at the end of the book, and that's where it lists David's mighty men. And you go and read those men, and you see these uh, men, all of them did great. Um, they they, they uh, uh, were in battle. They, they uh, did great exploits. They, many of them um, you know, destroyed many of the enemies of David, but there's several of them in particular that he mentions, and I preached on one of them, I think it was uh, sometime in January, um, preached on the man that, that kept the, uh, the ground, kept his ground. And uh, so anyway, you read through those. And again, as you see many times in the Old Testament, the literal battles that they faced in those days against physical enemies, a lot of the lessons you learn from their battles, you can apply to the spiritual battles that we face. Um, they used swords and spears and shields. And we know in the, in the book of Ephesians, it says we have a shield of faith that we use. We use the sword of the Spirit. And so there are a lot of parallels when you read that. When you look at it from that angle, it makes the, the things they went through even more interesting. Chapter 24 closes out the book. Uh, David disobeys God. He sins and he, and he numbers Israel. And then um, because of that, there's... Um, um, God says that he's going to bring some judgment on them. He lets David choose the judgment. But even in the judgment, God's allowing, uh, God's, God uh, cuts that short and doesn't bring full judgment. God is so merciful. And uh, chapter 24 records that in verse 11 to 17, how God shows his, his mercy. But you get to the end of the book in chapter 24, verse 18 to 25, David makes a purchase from a man that's called a Jebusite. The, the city, the nation, or excuse me, the, um, the city, the town, the city of Israel was originally called J-E-B-U-S, Jebus, Jebus or Jebus, however you want to pronounce it. So this man was a Jebusite. He lived there. Well, uh, there, it'll reach a point where it's going to be called Jerusalem. God puts his name there. And from way back with Abraham in the other books we've studied, there are several places where, it says, where God says, and it will be where I put my name there, where I put my name there. Jerusalem means city of peace. And so uh, God wanted his name put there because that's where the temple was going to be built one day. And David makes a purchase of that in chapter 24, verse 18 to 25. Put a pen there. We're going to be right back to that in just a moment. 2 Samuel 11 and 12, those things happened to David. He disobeyed God. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband put on the front line. But as a result of that, David's heart cried out to God. David was a man after God's own heart. He wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 as a result of those things. Psalm 51, he cries out to God and says, you know, I'm, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. You know, there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament for either adultery or murder. Both of them... Um, their, their outcome was, was being put to death by, by stoning. But God was merciful to David. 
And uh, David cries out to God in those two Psalms. In Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is a man uh, to whom you, you do not impute, and you don't put to their spiritual account their iniquity. And in the book of Romans, Paul takes that and shows us how the Lord Jesus Christ took our iniquity and put it on himself and gives us his righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? But it comes from the words of David that he wrote through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Great passages, we read those. Who was it written? Well, it was written to Israel. Their first king had failed. And so God wanted a man after God's own heart. So in our mileage and efficiency, this is what we're going to look at. This is really the only thing we'll look at tonight because of the fact that um, Saul had failed. David was a man after God's own heart. Look at a couple of traffic jams. In chapter 6, I uh, mentioned that, God, uh, that David had the heart's desire to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant, God's Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem where it belonged with the tabernacle at the time. And so he did a good thing in a wrong way. Now, he knew the Old Testament law that it was to be carried by the priests, uh, and there was a certain way they were to carry it. Um, and so they were to take it and carry, you know, put basically a rod through each side and carry it on their shoulders for them. But David had it put on a, on a cart, and uh, in doing so, he disobeyed God. That wasn't the way to do that. And so because of that, a man named Uzzah, who was walking behind it, when the cart shifted like it was going to fall off, he touched it and he died immediately. David got really upset with God. If you go back and read chapter 6 and 7, you see how uh, David you know, talks to God about that. That was the thing about David, as we'll see in just a moment. I think he's a man after God's own heart because even in his failures and disobedience, it didn't stop him from communing and talking with God. I believe that's why he was a man after God's own heart. Chapter 11, of course, as I mentioned, there was no Old Testament sacrifice for adultery or for murder. And then look at the tune-up. We all need Nathans in our life. 2 Samuel 7 and 2 Samuel 12, Nathan was a true friend. He was a prophet. Uh, but the only prophets see we see him do it. We talked about prophets Sunday morning on, about gifts. The only prophecy we see, remember, it doesn't always mean to tell something that's going to happen in the future. It's to tell, speak the truth to somebody. It's to tell them the truth. And that's what Nathan did. As far as we know, Nathan didn't really talk to anybody else as far as, a, as being a prophet. But he did to David. He was a true friend, and God used that. We need Nathans in our life who will tell us the truth. After David's son died in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the son that was conceived of Bathsheba, that, uh, that son died. You remember it was born, then it died. And then in chapter 12, verse 20, the Bible tells us that, that at first, of course, he was, he was grieving as the baby was ill. Then after it died, rather than get mad at God, there were times David did. About the, remember about the ark? I talked about that. But there were times, but here, the Bible says in chapter 12, verse 20, that he worshiped the Lord. He, he, he had mourned, and part of that is that mourning was, was being a realization of what happened. He worshiped the Lord rather than getting bitter toward him or getting angry. David also knew, 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, he knew that he would see his son again. Let's go back there if you um, want to turn there with me. Um, go ahead and uh, I'll read the, the passage. Uh, and that whole, uh, that section right before that, starting about verse 15, reading, reading down through, it talks about when the child got sick in chapter 15. And then you read on down through there, and David, all while the child is sick, he's, uh, he, he, the Bible says that he, um, he didn't wash his face, he was fasting and so forth. Um, and then after, they told him that the, the child was dead, verse 19, then verse 20, David rose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. 
Then he came to his own house, and when he, was, uh, when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. He ended his fast after the baby had died. Verse 21, Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou hast fast and weep for the child while it was yet alive, while it was alive but when the child was dead, thou hast rise and eat bread. And this is why David could say it. This is why he was a man after God's own heart. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that my child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David knew that that child was with the Lord. And one day David knew that he would be back with him again. And so um, I mentioned this a little bit. Uh, in Deuteronomy, when we were studying there, I think there we talk about uh, something there in Deuteronomy. But uh, we talked a little bit that night about what uh, people call the age of accountability. There's not an age in Scripture that, we, that you can find to say this is an age of accountability. But I certainly believe that any child that is not yet under, old enough to understand right and wrong, uh, the fact that they're a sinner uh, and, the, and the difference between right and wrong in that way, uh, I certainly believe that the Lord... Um, will take them to be with him when they can't understand that. And so um, David knew that. And of course, that child was basically, you know, just an infant. It wasn't even very old at all. But David knew he'd see his son again. Then go with me to chapter 24, verse 24. We talked about the purchase that David made. This is really, really neat. I love this. Chapter 24, verse 24. And the king said to Arunah, now this man is in the book of... Um, in the book of 1 Chronicles, it records the same thing. And this same man has a different name, O-R-N-A-N, Ornan, I believe is how you say it and uh, pronounce it in 1 Chronicles. It's the same man with two names. And that's very common in Scripture. It's not a contradiction. Um, you know, some, some people go by their first name, and then they also go by their middle name, and some people call them either one. Um, so uh, this man had two names. So it's the same guy in 1 uh, Chronicles also. Let me see if I'm... Yeah, chapter 21, verse 18 to 30. It's the same man. So he buys this. And look at verse 23. All these things did Aruna the king, a king uh, excuse me, as a king given to the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. So remember I said he was from, he was a Jebusite. And that's what Jerusalem was before, J-E-B-U-S. Then it's changed to Jerusalem. Verse 24. The king said to Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So he paid money for that place and purchased it. That location is the very same location in chapter 22 of Genesis that is Mount Moriah where Abraham offered up Isaac. And it's the very same place of the Temple Mount and it's also Calvary where Jesus died on the cross. Isn't that beautiful? David buys that first real king, I think, of Israel, the man after God's own heart, purchases that place, and it later becomes Calvary, and then, of course, the temple will be rebuilt one day. He was a man after God's own heart. When he was anointed, or when God wanted um, Saul to anoint the one that was to be a man after God's own heart, he's called that. Even before he's mentioned by name in 1 Samuel 13, 14, God tells Saul... I'm done with, I mean, tells uh, Samuel, I'm done with Saul. He's, he's disobeyed me, and I want you to anoint a man after my own heart, God says. And then in Acts 13, 22, when Simon Peter's preaching, he quotes that about David, that he was indeed a man after God's own heart. Before we close, uh, look, look back with me, or look with me over to 1 Kings 15. 
David leaves a legacy. And um, there's the, when you read through with all after he, die, after he dies and Solomon is king, and then after Solomon, after the kingdom divides, when you read about kings after that, they're all compared to David. Isn't that something? They're all compared to the one that's God's after, a man after God's own heart. 1 Kings 15, verse 1. Now the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord, uh, Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Now, David wasn't his father, father. Father sometimes means grandfather, great great grandfather. It just means he's of that line. Verse um, 54. Um, oh, excuse me, verse 4, then 5. I'm sorry, 54. Where did I get that? Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him to establish Jerusalem? Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside to anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Unfortunately, there's not a period, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So, but all the kings after that are compared to David. And so he was a man after God's own heart. The only one that came really, really close, well, there were a couple of them, but Josiah was probably one that came the closest to David. Um, in 2 Samuel, we see so many uh, times where David is a picture or a type of Christ, a foreshadow of Jesus. He's a king. Um, the, Jesus, of course, will come back one day. Well, he was born a king, but he will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. David was a shepherd. Jesus um, is our great shepherd, the Bible says in, uh, in John. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd uh, gives his life for his sheep. Uh, and then also a warrior. One day Jesus will come back and fight battle with the Antichrist and his armies. David was a warrior. Jesus, of course, one day will be too. There are several verses probably we could pick out of 2 Samuel to, um, to highlight as our home address. Good verses to remember. But one of them, I think, is in chapter 7, verse 18. When David sat, there's our phrase, before the Lord. In chapter 7, he had this heart's desire. I want to build a temple for you, Lord. I want to build a dwelling place where you can dwell permanently among your people. You had that great tabernacle, but I want to build a dwelling place, a temple for you. And that was his heart's desire. What a great desire. But then, of course, he was unable to do it. But the Bible says, as he did that, it says he sat before the Lord and he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, who am I? David was a man of humility. He had his problems. He had his faults. But he was a man of humility. Lord, who am I? that you would bless me so much. And so that's a great verse. Sometimes it wouldn't be a bad thing to sit before the Lord. Lord, who am I that you would bless me like you do? I mean, I know I'm your child and you bless me because I'm your child, but who am I? I'm no one without you. David had a heart of humility. And then chapter 24, verse 24, he was not willing to offer anything that would cost him nothing. He wasn't going to offer something that doesn't cost him something, if you want to put it that way, put it in the positive. Uh, and so David's heart's desire was whatever he did for the Lord, he wanted to do uh, in obedience and out of his love for him. Any questions or any input before we close tonight? I'm trying not to spend quite as much time on some things and a little more time on others, but give you a little bit of a highlight at least of each chapter. So, And then leave time hopefully for any in, in discussion or input or anything. Okay, very good. Lord willing, we'll go into 1 Kings next week and uh, look at uh, the death of David and then we'll see uh, Saul. I mean, excuse me, Samuel. We saw Saul. We saw plenty of Saul, didn't we? And we'll see Samuel, uh, or Solomon, excuse me, uh, Solomon as he, as he reigns and see what God does through him and, um, as we get to uh, 
his, his reign. Let's stand and close in prayer. We'll dismiss. Lord, we're grateful for your word tonight. Thank you for the life of King David. And Lord, it's um, a life that was very full, a life that had many victories, but had many uh, defeats. He had a lot of sorrow. He had a lot of heartache. Some of the things that were of his making, some of it, a lot of it was not. Uh, he was a man that loved you. And during the reign of Saul, he had to be on the run many times. And then even running from his own son, who wanted to rebel and take over the kingdom. And Lord, we're grateful for his example. He is human. He is flesh and blood as we are. But we can learn from his life and we can see the things that he did in his life and learn um, maybe a little of what it means to be a man, a woman after your own heart. Uh, I thank you for the example of King David. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight. Keep us safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.